I am not an innocent, not bystander. An innocent bystander. I am a threat, am a threat, to, my threat enemy. to my enemy. I am powerful I am powerful. I am strategic, I am strategic and, bold. and bold. I will not sit idly by. I will take ground. I will advance. I will tear through my enemy. And my enemy will hate me. I will not avoid the difficult fight. I will fight. I will be wounded. I will be targeted and I will bleed. I will not tire. My wounds will be healed. I will see tragedy. I will feel pain. But I will be restored. My feet will not stumble. My hands will hold fast. I will not be intimidated. Hey, page 137, we're on the topic of... Hey, please, not everyone at once. <laughs> Biblical <laughs> family roles, as opposed to those fancy French croissants. No, that's the wrong kind of roles, Jim, but thank you for being here. I appreciate that. Uh, Biblical family roles, that's right, positions, functions, however you want to do that. Uh, but uh, top of page 137, who defines the family? That's right, John. God is the correct answer. Not feminism, not homosexuality, as we saw last time. Um, that's why things are messed up. You get back on track, do it God's way. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Put them both together. Wow, this thing is awesome. Unfortunately, we don't do that. Unfortunately, even as Christians, we're all confused because of this influx of the world that is rejecting the biblical account and the biblical roles for family. Now, first of all, we saw, well, all right, let's take a look at what does the Bible say family roles are? First of all, does the Bible teach equality of the sexes, the male and female? In the fact that we're created in his image, we saw, but the difference is we have different function, different roles, okay? Uh, let's go ahead and get that right there. Not the croissant spelling. Uh, but as we saw, that, that's the difference there in function, okay? And we saw there, as we saw it left off last time, is man is called for the role of headship, and the woe man is called as the role of the helper. All right. Now, again, as we saw last time, society, feminism, uh, even the homosexual movement and other entities would, would say, they bucket that and they say, well, that ain't right. That's not fair because it's different. Well, first of all, there's a misnomer there. How many guys can recognize again tonight that uh, male and female, men and women were different? Okay, so there's going to be differences. Okay, and because we're different, that means that God's given us different roles, different functions, but they're equally important. Okay, has nothing to do with you're better. Okay. And that's all it is. But they want to harp on these different roles and say that somehow it's being unjust. And that's where the tweaking begins. And the moment you begin to tweak God's design, everything uh, gets messed up. So man is called for headship. We saw some proof of that. Page of top 139. Mankind, that's who we are called, not uh, womankind. Okay, it's just that that's a, a clue that obviously man's being given the headship there. We also saw that man again is the uh, supposed to be the uh, the headship there. Uh, the woman is to be the helper, and that's kind of where we left off last time at the bottom of page 140, the final paragraph where it says, "Let us talk about." <laughs> 
Shall we do that? Yes, thank you, Jeanette. You, well, you're, that was almost, almost made my ears bleed. That was so loud. That was awesome. That's great. Let us talk about the implication of what we've seen, especially of the phrase, a helper suitable for him. Okay? The fact that she alone, the woman, was suitable for him shows what? Equality. Okay? She was the only creature that shared his nature. Okay? Came from the rib. Uh, only she could provide the man companionship on an equal level. Alright? Now, uh, how many people say that, you know, dogs are man's best friend? Right? Cats? I hear it tastes like chicken, but I'm not going to test it. Okay, but anyway, people love them, I guess, for that flavor. I don't know what it is, but I digress. But uh, man, dog is a man's best friend. The dogs are cool, right? Wiener dogs. Uh, you guys, have you been in my house? You've seen the Sammy and Susie show, Live from Vegas. That's right. They're, anyway, uh, they're cool. They're awesome. But, uh, you know, there are just certain things that uh, dogs just can't provide that only a woman can provide. You know what I'm saying? Anybody can Agree? Okay. And, and that's why it's the woman is the only one who's the suitable helper for the man. Okay. The man, top page 141, was not created to help the woman, but the reverse. Okay. She was needed uh, to help the man. She's the helper. Now, ladies, how many guys can agree that men kind of need some help? Right? <laughs> and I've got some proof for those of you who've been wondering. Uh, for instance, uh, ladies, you can confer that if you're called to have that wonderful ministry to help the man, to help him. He needs help. Okay. Uh, for instance, uh, let's see what a man really means. He really means he needs help, but we don't want to admit that. So here's what's going on. Uh, when a man says, I'm not lost, I know exactly where we are. Now, what he really means is nobody's ever going to see us alive again. Okay. Might need some help. When a man says, hey, don't fuss. I just cut myself. It's no big deal. What he really means is I've actually severed a limb and I will bleed to death before I admit I'm hurt. Might need some help. Or when a man says, will you marry me, ladies? Okay, what he really means is both my roommates have moved out. I can't find the washer and there's no more peanut butter. <laughs> we need help. Or after you married, when a man tells his wife, hey, I can't find it. What he really means is it didn't fall in my outstretched hands and I'm absolutely clueless as to where it is. Oh, he's going to Midland. Let me give you a couple more. Uh, when a man says to his wife, hey, I missed you. I missed you so much. And what he really means is I can't find my sock drawer. The kids are hungry and we're out of toilet paper. All right, we need you. Okay, we need help, mate. Okay, and that's what it is. The woman is the only one who could provide this wonderful ministry uh, to the man. And vice versa, we're going to see that God's wired men, that he's going to do some things that women need, like security as being a leader, etc., blah, blah, blah. But we'll save that for later. Now, doesn't this striking fact suggest that mankind and womankind are distinct and non-reversible? Yes, the, everyone, man, my, I'm going to have to get some, uh, something to plug my ear. Uh, 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 yes, of course, okay. Uh, now, that's uh, what we see. A man and woman are to love each other as equals, but they are not to love each other in the same way. Why? Because we've got different roles, okay. The man is to love his wife by accepting the primary responsibility for making their partnership, listen, a platform displaying God's glory. I often say this to, uh, in premarital counseling to young couples or people coming in newly married or uh, that maybe don't know better. But the, the husband, you need to look at it this way, guys. The husband, really in the mindset you need to have as a husband, you're the pastor of the home. You're the pastor of the home. Just as like you expect a standard for your pastor at the church, right? Okay? And that he is to lead the flock, Right? Under the headship of Jesus Christ, the man spiritually as the leader is called to be the pastor of the home. The spiritual leader. 
Okay? Unfortunately, what's happening with men today? We're not doing that. We're abdicating the role. And we saw that that's actually what Adam did. And with the fall, we'll get to that in a little bit. But that's what the husband is to be. Now the wife, and this is what he's going to say. Let's continue on there. We're supposed to lead the family, not just as a leader. We're supposed to lead it in, what do you say? A God-honoring fashion. I mean, this is not just about you, about what the man wants to do and this, whatever. It's what has God called us to do? How is this going to be a God-honoring family? I'm responsible for the spiritual well-being of the family. The man is the one who is to be taking the initiative to get the kids to go to the church. The man is the one who is to take the initiative to pray with the family uh, every single night. The man is the one who is to take the initiative to read the Bible uh, and have Bible devotions with the family. The man is the pastor, this headship, the spiritual leader of the home. That's what it's supposed to be. Okay, now let's go look at the other. And the woman is to love her husband by supporting him in a godly undertaking. Oh, so she's a support role, right? She's, if you will, ladies, a word that I often use will say this, is a cheerleader, right? You got the quarterback out there, he's trying to do this, he's trying to direct and do all this stuff, and, and the ladies are on the side going, no, you shouldn't do it that way, you need to do it this way. Holy. No, that's what armchair quarterbacks do, but what's the cheerleader supposed to do? And ladies, as guys, it's hard enough trying to learn to be a biblical leader, a godly leader, lead the family in a godly fashion. Okay, but I'm telling you, if you want to help the guy out, even though you might have your suspicions, the Bible says don't push the man out of the way and take the lead. You need to go to God and plead. You need to pray. Oh, God, help him. Give him the wisdom he needs. And I said this to Hey, ladies, if God's called uh, the men to be the leaders, don't you think that he can give them the wisdom to do what he's called them to do? Right? All right? He doesn't want you to push him out of the way and to take the lead, but he wants you to be that cheerleader. Okay? With men in general, it, it's a general rule like this. Uh, uh, words of encouragement are like oxygen to the soul. And he might be out there in the back trying to lead the family and working and building that shed. And you and I both know and the whole neighborhood knows that if a cat brushes up against that thing, it's going to fall apart and blow down like a bunch of matchsticks. But you know what he needs to hear from you at that point as the leader as he's trying to lead? You're the man. You're the shed master. You're the shedderino. Nobody can build a shed like you. Oh, you lead them on, right? And in general, what happens at that point, the man will typically, and this is the best case scenario, unfortunately not all men will follow this, he'll bust his back for you, okay? And that, that's the best role. The man is in the role is supposed to take the lead to be that spiritual leader, that pastor of the home. That's the best case scenario. Unfortunately, sometimes they don't. They're disinterested. They don't lead in biblical fashion, spiritual fashion, whatever. Ladies, you're called to be that helpmate, that support, that cheerleader. Okay, but in a negative sense, what happens? Sometimes it goes to this. It's the old nagging thing. And my favorite analogy of nagging, one guy says, you know what, nagging, uh, it, uh, it's like being slowly pecked to death by a duck. It won't kill you right away. But boy, is that annoying, right? That's not what he needs, Okay. Encourage, cheerlead. Now, when you put that, as weird as that might sound, and the only reason why it sounds weird, it's a biblical example. It's because that's how much our society has infiltrated our thinking, guys. Okay, but if you leave it alone, they're, they're different, right? Man's got to do this, woman's got to do this. But as we saw before, leave it alone. Just don't mess with it. You let the guys do the peanut butter, you do the jelly, slap them both together. Wow, it's awesome. It's when you bucket this is when we get into all kinds of trouble. Okay, and that's what we're seeing today. Let's continue on. Uh, Cassian writes, Adam uh, recognized the unity between himself and the female. However, he also recognized his God-given responsibility and authority by naming her. Adam's act of naming the woman occurs again in Genesis 3 when he gives her the name Eve, mother of all living. 
Uh, if the woman and man were meant to have identical roles, God would have named the woman just as he named the man. And given Adam the responsibility to name the woman, a hierarchical relationship between Adam and the woman is established from the very outset. This in no way belittles the woman or assigns her to a lesser role. Listen, it simply reflects the differences between the roles. That's all it is. You do your thing, he does his, peanut butter jelly, leave it alone. It's just different because guess what? We're different. Okay? It's a lie to say that we're all the same. It's 50-50 and you just be more like me. It isn't going to work, okay? Adam was to be the leader in the relationship. The woman was to be the helpmate. The assigned roles blended together, coexisted alongside perfect oneness and unity. So what's the summary? Thanks for asking. Uh, they're both equal image bearers of God, right? God made the male and female, came from God, were created in his image. Man's headship is uh, in the relationship. That's clear. That's throughout the scripture. And woman is created uh, as man's equal in nature, but she functions different as the helpmate. Okay? Just again, I have to believe this. It's just, it's different roles, but they're equally valuable. Okay? Uh, the roles blended together and coexisted in perfect oneness and unity, a perfect complementary relationship. That's where we left off last time. Your differences is male and female. Men and women are not meant to do this all the time, even though on the surface it's like, how in the world is this going to work? You need to prayerfully do it God's way, and over time you'll see how you started to complement each other. And I think there gets to be a deeper meaning between the man and woman, the husband and wife will become one flesh. Okay, let's continue on. Now, all right, that's the perfect case. That's how it's supposed to be. All right, what in the world happened? Well, thanks for asking. That's a great question, and it works well with the workbook. Uh, let's take a look. The natural question at this point is, hey, wait a second. If God's design for the family was so perfect, what happened that altered the perfect complementary relationship? And why is there so much turmoil in the family today? Rise with the fall of man. Anyone want to take a guess? Fall of man. That's right, John. Fall of man. You got two. In one night, you're awesome. You're cooking now. Now, to understand that, we need to read Genesis chapter 3. Let's go ahead and turn there. Let's take a look at the fall of a man. And that's basically Adam was walking through the garden there. And all of a sudden, an earthquake happened. This big old giant uh, a hole opened up in the earth and he fell. That's, all, that's what it means. No, as we turn, there's a lot more to that. Okay, but that's the, that's the Christianese phrase, the fall of man. Okay, and that's when we basically sinned against God and everything got messed up. Okay, let's take a look. Genesis chapter 3. And uh, let's take a look at verse 1, the fall of man. All right, and it says there, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say? What's the first thing he did? He cast doubt. Okay? He doesn't do that today. I mean, we're talking about biblical roles and things of that nature. And here's what the Bible says. And what's the first thing that he'll put in your head? Oh, really? Did God really say that? Is that a cultural thing? Is that valid for today? Are we really supposed to do that? Did God really? He does the same thing today. Did God really say that? Uh, he says there, he says, uh, uh, you must not eat from the tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, hey, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. Now listen, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, two, pleasing for the eye, three, desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he said, absolutely not. I am the headship here. We are supposed to do things in a God-honoring, glorifying way and there's no way you're going to get... We don't even see, I mean, I don't know, the, obviously we don't, we're just reading between the lines what's shared here, but we don't see any resistance here at all. 
Adam submitted himself to her. He gave up his headship. He didn't even sneeze. Okay, and we'll get to that in a second, okay? And that's what he says. He said, and he, he just sat there and he ate it. Now, she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And the eyes of both of them were open and they realized that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and, and made coverings for themselves. We don't try to hide our sin, do we? Let's continue on. Uh, then the man and wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But God, the Lord God called him, hey, where are you? And he answered, well, I, I heard, I heard you're in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Now what's going on here? Does this mean that God's not omniscient? He doesn't know? He really had to ask, where in the world are you? No, it's a parental thing, right? You see your son, you told him 15,000 times, don't eat those cookies out of that cookie jar, right? And he turns around, you see him in the kitchen, he turns around, he's got 55 billion crumbs all over his lips. He's got a, a cookie mustache going on. And so what are you going to ask him, parent? Did you eat that cookie jar I told you not to? You already know. What are you trying to do? You're trying to get him to fess up, right? Same thing that's going on here, all right? And so that's what God says. And the man said, hey, hey, you're absolutely right, God. I take full responsibility for my behavior. No? What's the first sin after the first sin? Blame. Isn't that wild? Blame. Oh, the, the, the woman, the woman you put here with me, God, it's your fault. She gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord said to the woman, hey, what's this you've done? And the woman did the same thing. Uh, uh, the serpent. Uh, it was the serpent. He did it. He deceived me and I ate. And it's been this way ever since. Instead of taking responsibility, instead of doing what God said to do, doubting what God said to do, sinning, and then making another sin and blame, and then doubting, it's been that way ever since, all right? That's what happened. That's why everything's messed up today, okay? The fall of mankind into sin occurred when the serpent, which we'll find out later is Satan, Revelation 20, came to Eve as we just saw, tempted her. Satan succeeds in his attempt through half-truths and planting doubts, okay? He's especially effective in creating in Eve's mind an unjust view of God. He gets her to question God by asking questions to create doubt in her mind. He first questions whether God lets them eat of the tree of the garden. Now Eve clarifies they can eat from the trees, but not from the tree in the middle of the garden, the forbidden tree. Interestingly though, Eve misquotes God, adding that he had forbidden them to touch it or they would die. You see, once you start veering off God's word, and you start to doubt, then you start making false assumptions, or you start adding to the text what's not there. It's the same thing today. Well, maybe we should do it this way. Or I know that's what God said, but maybe... And it's the same thing that we see uh, today. Let's continue on. Then Satan directly questions God's character in stating that he is lying about the results of eating the fruit to protect his unique deity. Satan has successfully created doubt in Eve's mind and her response was to take her focus, is your next blank there, her focus off God and focus on self. Again, I've said this before, what is the number one celebrated, promoted virtue in society today? You need to love what? Self. Really? We saw before that's the number one law of Satanism. Do what you will. Love yourself first shall be the whole of the law. Number one law of Satanism. What caused Satan's fall? Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28. I will be like God. I. He said, me, myself, and I. The unholy trinity. It's all about me. It's all about self. And the moment he got her eyes off of God onto self, bang. Here comes the fall. And what is being fed in the little munchkins, the crumb snatchers, brains from wee high in school, in the media, and adults, and it goes on in the movies and everything it's all about? Self. You ever wonder why 
Everybody's acting so selfish lately, inconsiderate, lack of love, self-centered. That's what we're telling them to do. In fact, we'll, we'll slap this lie on them. If you don't do that, you're going to end up with a horrible life. Really? Jesus said you need to pick up your cross and deny yourself and come follow him. Jesus said, you want some esteem? Esteem other people better than you. It's the exact opposite if you want to have a good life. Why? Because Jesus says, hey, if you want to keep your life, you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, it's not about self anymore. It's about him, the Savior. You're going to find out what life's all about. Okay? It's called a paradox in Scripture. Let's continue on. Now, at that point, she observed that the tree was good for food. It was attractive to the eyes, and it could increase her wisdom. Now, folks, I had an instructor who would always say that Satan, obviously very intelligent, okay? Very uh, uh, high-powered, uh, 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 fallen angel, okay? Uh, the, the harsh rendering of the Greek word uh, for demon, demonion, literally means intelligent ones. They're very intelligent. Plus, they've had 6,000 years or so kicking around to see what makes you and I tick, okay? And they know the Scripture, but I remember he always says, you know what, but the thing is, they don't really have to be that intelligent. They use the same goofball traps every single time because we fall for them every single time. And it's the same three, three that he used on Eve. John talks about this, I believe in 1 John. He talks about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's what he did. Don't listen to God, he's holding out on something. I know that's what he says, but don't do that because it's good for you. You'll be so wise. You'll be, your life will be so complete. Oh, people think you're good. And we fall for it. He uses the same three things over and over. All he does is change the packaging, by the way. Okay? But it's the same old line. Let's continue on. Uh, she fell for Satan's deceptive baiting and took the forbidden fruit. Okay? Once the woman ate the fruit, she shared the fruit with the man, Adam, and he, without any apparent deception made the choice to eat, and thus mankind fell. Now, the penalty for the violation of God's prohibition is given, is given in uh, Genesis 3, uh, 16 through 20. Now, and this is where we're giving the curse, okay? They got the curse. So you got the woman got the curse. Why is it so messed up? Why is it so hard with marriage? Why is it so hard with relationships? Why is it so hard, period, getting along? Because of this, right? God had a standard. Oh, no. Didn't want to listen to it. Thank you, Adam. Okay, and now this is what we got. Now the good news, if we get that far, if we can just get back to God's design, even today, after all these years, and yield to the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within us, we can get back on track. The longer that we compromise and do it society's way instead of God's way, even though you're a born-again Christian, you're not going to experience the benefit of what was the original design. All right, let's continue on. The curse of the woman. Here's how she got it. The first of these is that she would have increased pain in childbirth. Now, ladies, those of you who had children, how many guys can verify that exciting truth? Hey, okay. I look what he says here. Now, apparently, God's original design of procreation included some mild pain. All right? You might be thinking, well, why was there any pain at all? Right? I don't know. Probably be a good thing to know that if a baby was coming, you'd have some heads up, wouldn't it? You're walking around, hey, you know, you want to have some, you know, make some preparations. So, but apparently it was mild, okay, because that's what he says here. He says, but now God says, I will greatly, ooh, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth in pain. Now you're going to bring forth kids, children. Secondly, she's going to have a strong desire, is your next blank there, desire for your husband. All right? But what does God mean by that? Your desire shall be for your husband. Well, this is the Hebrew word. It's used two other places in the Old Testament. 
One's in Genesis 4, where sin's, desires, uh, uh, sin's desire is for Cain. And I believe that's the passage where God says, in fact, Cain, listen, unless you master sin, sin's going to master you. you. You're in a war now. You're trying, you said it's a battle, right? And that's what he's used. But the other is in Song of Solomon, where it refers to the sexual desire of the man for his beloved wife. Okay, and the context of Genesis 3.16 seems to carry a similar sense. Let's take a look. The second part of the penalty, unto thy husband thou shalt be attracted. Okay, the Hebrew word there might be rendered desire or even better, yearning. Okay, a lot of people wanted to just say, we've talked about this before, that this is just some uh, uh, sexual yearning. That's not the full picture of what's going on. Okay, it, it, it's a usurping, it's a, it's a frustrated state. We'll get to that uh, in a second. The yearning is morbid. Okay, it's not merely a sexual yearning. It includes the attraction that women experience for man, which she cannot root from her nature. Independent feminists may seek to banish it, but it persists in cropping out. I don't care what you do and how many times you say, I don't need a man. Well, I'll name just one example. You want to have a kid? You need a man. Right? And there's certain things, at least it used to be back in the day, uh, Ladies used to appreciate having a man around the house. Open up that nifty jar. Fix that plumbing. You know, that leak in the yard. You know, that's kind of cool. But you know, you got this pressure, this, this, this feminist movement. You know, no, no, I'm going to be just like the man. I'm going to do all the things that you can do. Okay, whatever you want to do. But, but listen, there, there's a frustrated state there. I don't care what you're going to do. There's, the rubber meets the road. You're still always going to need a man. It's like, oh, Right? Because there's a battle going on. It's not just a, a, a sexual yearning. There's, a, there's this battle, this usurping, this ah, that's going on there. Okay? Why? Because we're going to see what, was, what did she do? Did she listen to Adam? Did she submit to Adam? Adam blew it on his side. But there wasn't. And this is all part of the curse. It all got messed up here. All right? And uh, uh, it, it, it's a penalty. She sought to strive apart from man to act independently of him. And in the temptation, finds a continual attraction for him uh, to be her unavoidable lot. So the woman has a deep yearning or craving that, although it includes sexual aspect, it's not restricted to just that. Okay, it's a deep yearning to meet her needs through a relationship with the man. But the other hand, I don't need you. And it's just, there's this war going on. Now, thirdly, the man's going to rule over his wife. Okay, is what's going on with her curse. Now, the Hebrew translated rule here carries the meaning of to have dominion. Okay, to have dominion, to reign, to rule. Now, this is part of the curse. This is not the biblical example. This is where this trait, if you will, unfortunately came in with men who say they're taking the lead, but they're doing it in a, uh, a dominionist uh, kind of behavior, which is not the biblical way. Okay, but that's what it says, okay? As we've seen in the pre-fall condition, there's a beautiful complementary relationship. You got the peanut butter, she's got the jelly, you put them both together, you got something wonderful. Okay, but now it's all messed up. There was full spiritual equality and a beautiful male headship as the two worked together to fulfill God's design for them. But because of the woman usurping the headship of the man by taking the forbidden fruit, she's now going to have to deal with the tendency of the male to sinfully dominate her. God's not condoning it. It's, that's why it's called the curse. Oh, you want to usurp his authority? Guess what? He's going to have a weakness in him now. Oh, he might be taking some authority in the house, but he's going to do it in a wrong way. Okay? And it kind of, what you see is there's a little bit of a balancing going on here uh, with the curse, unfortunately. But this is explaining why is everything so messed up? Why is it so hard? Okay, the woman's sinful reaction to such a sinful male domination is to rebel, obviously, and thus resulting in the feminist movements down throughout 
history. Top page 143. What about the curse on the man? Well, thanks for asking. God now gets the punishment going for the man. His punishment perfectly fits his sin. First, because he what? Oh, who's supposed to be the headship there? So what was his first sin? Again, there was, there was no like, well, I tell you what, Eve, I'm going to have to pray about this. Or let me consult God. Or like, there didn't seem to be any pause. Like, okay, sure. So what, he, he was in essence submitting to her. Out of order. So because he did that, uh, uh, who he should have been lovingly leading, said, no! I don't know. I don't know how much you can read into the text. I mean, maybe he should have been even looking out for her. Say, I mean, was he watching the It says, and her husband who was there. So was he watching this conversation going on the whole time? Was Satan coming to tempt her? And not doing anything? Could he have put a stop to it? If he was being the biblical leader, would he say, hey, get, whoa, get, hey, God, whoa. Knock it out. This guy's a liar. That's not what God said. Honey, get over here. I'll protect you. Right? Don't know. Could be. But that's what he did. He submitted to her. All right. Now, he should have been lovingly leading, but now he's going to have to deal with the insubordination of the soil. No longer would the tillage of the soil be easy, but now it would involve misery. Okay. Anybody ever try to grow something? Anybody not have a green thumb? You got a brown toe like me? It just <laughs> Anybody's best friend miracle grow and you get all excited and you spend all that cash and it still doesn't work? Anybody ever finally get that one goofball little, it wasn't very massive, but I was so excited about that one cantaloupe, that one cantaloupe, and then a rat ate it. <laughs> misery, misery is what it says. Only through toil could enough food be produced to sustain him. Uh, he can still produce his sustenance, but now it's going to become more grievous. Is your blink there? Grievous. Okay, misery, toil, sorrow. Uh, this and I, I've said this before, I really think that that, if you will, is also an act of God's mercy. Not only do I see some of the things that uh, Eve was cursed with is an act of mercy to help kind of th keep things confined, so to speak, but I see this issue that now man's got to work his tail off to get some chow, right? Why? Because if you got, you've heard this, too much time on your hand is the devil's playground right and and when you don't have to work and you got too much time your flesh has a way your sin nature's got la, 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 la. how can you be pleased now what do i need to do and 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 sometimes what you find that now you've got to work your tail off it's good because you got less time to sin you got less time to get in trouble so do you see a little bit of god's i'd say even mercy mixed in with this to help with the fall of mankind all right, this comes as a result of the ground being cursed and thus its production of thorns and thistles and apparently rats that eat cantaloupes. Uh, the imperfect man would now live in an imperfect world, not the blessing of the perfect creation. Another guy points out, speaking of the results, uh, he says uh, in the plants on the field, we have one type of disorder here as a sample of the rest. In other words, the cursing of the ground encompasses all of creation, not just the vegetation. I'd say that we can see that also when you take a look at the characteristics of the millennial kingdom that we've seen before, that's going to reverse the effects of the creation being under subjection to the fall of mankind. And that's where we saw they have longevity of life returns. You got peace with nature. You got where now you can grow stuff abundantly. It's awesome. It's incredible. But that's not here yet. That's not until Jesus comes back to establish them. But that's what we see. Now, secondly, a man's actions resulted in the human race uh, itself being infected. Is your blank there? Infected by sin. Okay? The second part of Adam's curse reflects the judgment of God passed on the sentence of sin into the world. Adam had given authority and responsibility in the first uh, male-female relationship. Because Adam didn't intervene during the deception of the woman. He kind of says the same thing we just talked about. And because he followed her deception uh, with his own 
willful disobedience. Eve is the one to blame. Nope. So we saw last week, welcome to being a spiritual authority. You can make a good decision and it works out. Yay! You can make a, a decision you think is good. It turns out to be bad. Blame! No, that's the first sin after the first sin. You have to take responsibility for that as a leader. And same thing with Adam. You can't point to Eve. Listen, she was deceived, but you blew it, buddy. You were the headship. Adam is the one responsible. Uh, uh, Romans chapter 5, what's it say? Through one woman? No, one man. Adam. Sin, death entered into the world. And through another man, second Adam, Jesus Christ. Praise God we get out of this mess. Amen? Okay? And that's what he's talking there in this example. Uh, Adam is held responsible, not Eve, for sin in the world. Adam was ultimately held responsible for the violation of God's command. In God's eyes, he was more guilty than Eve. Why? Because he's the leader. All right? The corresponding penalty was death and corruption, both physical and spiritual. Uh, it's most far-reaching, including uh, uh, the woman and all of mankind, because guess where all people eventually came from? Adam and Eve. That's right. Can you believe that? So it's been passed on ever since. Okay? Interesting. Uh, let's continue on. Now, prior to the fall, man was destined to live forever spiritually and physically... Okay, therefore through Adam, the whole human race has come under the curse of physical death and corruption. All of mankind stand spiritually condemned uh, as lost sinners uh, because of Adam. And we're all doomed straight to hell. Nothing's ever going to change and there is no hope. Oh, I'm sorry. Praise God. That's not in my notes. I don't know about yours. You might want to erase it if it is because that's not true. That's where I alluded to at the beginning of our study. Here's the good news. Praise God. When you become born again, you're indwelt with who? The Holy Spirit. And then we have God's word that tells us the biblical account, even the original one that got messed up. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, because our natural tendency is to rebel, you know, the curse. But through yielding to the power of the Holy Spirit, if you do it God's way, we get to experience a little taste of what it was supposed to be like. The challenge is doing it, okay? Or we're gonna continue to buck and what God says to do, all right? How did the fall affect God's design for the family? Now, the fall of man and woman in the garden had tragic implications on the family. Instead of the pre-fall harmony of two spiritually equal individuals carrying out their roles in a complementary nature, now there are two equally sinful individuals, a man and a woman. Can anybody verify that? That your biggest problem in marrying who you married was you married a sinner, right? And do you know what your spouse's biggest problem was when they got married? They married you. Another sinner. And now you're in close proximity. And one of you puts the toilet paper going this way, another one of you puts it going this way, and then the war begins. And if that doesn't start World War VII, uh, then it's the old toothpaste thing. The person who does it correctly does it nice and neat and cleans the lid off. The person who does it incorrectly is the one who creates the crusty volcano at the top and who's not a wise steward because there's tons of wasted toothpaste. But I digress. Okay, but you got a sinful individuals is what's going on. Attempting to live together, yet being driven by their own selfish sinful natures. Instead of working together, each partner is naturally bent toward looking out for himself or herself, the unholy trinity, okay? There is no such thing as a perfect couple. You get that? I've shared this so many times in premarital counseling, postmarital counseling, you name it. Uh, uh, people have this pipe dream. It's another lie. It's another lie from uh, a society. It's called the soulmate. 
I'll just find my soul. And see, what comes with that idea from society anyway is that I'll find that person who thinks like me, acts like me, eats like me, breathes like me, dresses like me, it's like me, it's me. You can only do that if you get cloned, and even then it's no guarantee. All right? But that's the thing. And then what happens, you get together, you got two sinful individuals, male, female, peanut butter, jelly, you're never going to be the same, but you're supposed to compliment. But then you look at all these differences and you go, <gasps> they don't think like I do. When we can't, as we saw last week, they don't act like I do because we're men and women, we're different. And they'll do that. Oh, you're not my soulmate. And what do they do? They dump that person, go look for another soulmate. No. no. Guess what? You got to change a, a, a external clothes and stuff. But guess what? That other person that you think is your next soulmate is going to do. Same thing. And it starts all over again. Okay? And, and that's the problem. There is no perfect uh, couple. But, lest you digress... Uh, let's continue on. The exciting news for the Christian, though, is that God has provided a solution for those who are his children. This solution helps the husband uh, and wife to overcome the sinful effects, the top of page 144, of the fall and live out the pre-fall design for marriage. You get that? There's hope. The pre-fall design for marriage. Now, what does that say? That means you've got to be doing it God's way. Yeah, but nobody does it that way. Well, is there any reason why you've got problems then? Since when did God get everything else right, including salvation for all eternity, but somehow he doesn't get it right when it comes to marriage and men and women and roles? Uh, he's the one that created us. The Genesis account. Man, he's the, one, he's the one that instituted marriage. I think he knows how it should be done. That's my theory. But you've got to get back to that. Not, not, you could be in dwell with the Holy Spirit of God. But if you reject God's design for marriage, you're not going to experience that. You've got to get back, as weird as it is, as antiquated, whatever the words people want to use today. God knows what he's doing. Get back to God's design. It'll be much better. The Apostle Paul deals with the key to a successful marriage in a discussion in the epistle to the Ephesians. Uh, and, and chapter 5, he deals with how the Christians walk uh, and that how we can walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, as he lives in the sinful world. Now the key to a wise life that expresses itself in God honoring speech towards each other, where you build each other up. Paul says in Ephesians 4, let nothing unwholesome come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up. Husband, why? That's even in the church is the context. Okay, before he gets to uh, chapter 5, dealing with the family. Okay, a a internal joy. You, you know what 80% of the problems are in marriages today? It's called money. You know why many couples get into uh, 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 problems with money, debt? is because they're seeking joy in external things, not God. That new car, you think it's joy, but then after three months, after the kids got 19,000 french fries crammed into it, Okay, and it doesn't smell the same. In fact, it smells kind of, we don't know what it smells like. But anyway, uh, the joy's gone. So what do you got to do? Society's got us trained well. Go get a new one. Go get another one. Go get this. Go get it. Next thing you know, you got money problems. Internal joy. Be nice with your mouth. Seek joy internally from God. And be grateful for what God has done. Right? Is the key there. And a mutual submission between the believers, okay, to be filled or controlled literally by the Holy Spirit. You submit to what God says to do as the peanut butter person. You submit to what God says to do as the jelly person. No 50-50 thing here. You do 100% peanut butter. You do 100% jelly. Wow! We're going to have a great marriage. 
We're going to have an awesome family. But you mess with it. Next thing you know, you're eating tuna. Anybody like tuna? What's the worst sandwich other than Limburger cheese you can think of? You guys actually like Limburger cheese? Liver? Liver? You eating a liver sandwich? Yeah, but there is one practical benefit. You let that dry out for about five minutes, and in case you got a hole right here in the bottom of your shoe, a couple staples, a couple good staples, maybe a screw, but not too long because then you'll be stepping on it, so you've got to be careful there. No, but anyway, yeah, that's gross. Okay, uh, but I digress. Let's finish this chapter up. Uh, okay, only when each partner has submitted himself, herself to the control, that's your mutual submission there, control of the Spirit of God, and is subject to his will. His will for what? For your role, for your function, for your design, for your peanut butter and jelly. All right? Can there be a return to the pre-fall harmony and the carrying out of the complementary sex roles according to God's original design? Marriage ideally produces two people who are as much the same person as two people can be. Christians in marriage, listen, here's our unity. This is what non-Christians don't get. This is why God says, do whatever you do, uh, don't get yourself uh, into an unequally yoked uh, situation on purpose, knowing better as a Christian. Okay? Now, you can be in that situation, one you get saved, one not, or whatever, whatever, uh, uh, and then hopefully uh, the other spouse will come along, as, as Paul talks about. But he says, don't do that on purpose. Why? It's oil and water. It doesn't mix. And he, and he says, but here's the benefit of two genuine born-again Christians in marriage. You have the same Lord, the same family, the same children, the same future, the same ultimate uh, destiny, and that pr provides an astounding unity. Let me show you how that works real quick. Uh, let's do the triangle. Right there. How do you like that? Oh, look at that. And the deal, it works like this. God's at the apex, right? And you got man down here, and you got, whoa, man down here. Okay, and uh, so here's how it works. Now, the man, as a born-again Christian, hopefully, and he's working towards his uh, uh, relationship with God, but his wife is not, all right? Now, if they're down here, nobody's working on God, what's the distance between the two? Still pretty wide. You think, well, at least he's a Christian. He's, he's working towards God. Well, well, how's the distance between the wife? Still the same. Well, let's flip it around. Well, let's say that the woman is a born-again Christian, but the husband's not. She's working her way, but he's not. Doesn't matter. Here's the neat thing. Here's what he's talking about here. Christians, my goodness, we, we have a blessed opportunity. If we would just do it God's way. Listen, as the man and the woman both mutually submit and do what God's called them to do. You do the peanut butter, you do the jelly, you each individually go and work on your relationship with God. Not because you have to, not because you're playing games, but because you love Jesus Christ and you're still going to seek Him no matter what they do, what they say. And you both continue to seek Him. Notice the difference between the two. The distance is what? It's a unity. It's a spiritual unity. This is what I believe God says. Unless uh, the Lord builds the house, the labors, build in vain. He's got to come first. There's a unity. There's a spiritual unity that keeps you together. You're always going to have challenges. But in Jesus Christ, there's a unity. Let's finish this up. All right, what about the roles of the husband, wife, and child? Uh, in the following chapters, we're going to look at what the Bible has to say about the biblical roles of the husband, wife, and child. But to close our discussion in this chapter, let's take some summary statements about these roles and expand on them later because that's what we're going to do. We're going to get in greater detail with the man and then uh, the woman and then, of course, the child. What is the child's uh, responsibility in that? Why, why would it be important to know what kids are called to do with mom and dad today? Because how are they going to know unless we train them, unless we teach them, right? Are we going to do it or are we going to let society do it? How well is society doing? 
<laughs> so we need to know first, okay, how we're supposed to behave as men and women, husband and wives, moms and dads. But then we also need to know how God expects our children to be raised so that we can complete that biblical family. All right, let's continue on. From what we've studied thus far, we can see that the role of the man is to bear the primary responsibility to lead the marriage, lead the marriage in a God-glorifying direction. The wife is to submit, is the blank there, submit and follow that direction, be that cheerleader, okay? And the child, this is what we'll get into, is to honor the man is to lead, the woman is to submit, be that cheerleader, and the child is to honor the parents which God has sovereignly given him by obedient and respectful behavior. So I don't know about you, but there's no way that could ever, yes it can, what did we just see? You're as a born again Christian, you're indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God, and even though people want to bucket God's direction, we now for the first time, nobody else on the planet has the ability, but if we do it God's way, by the power of the Holy Spirit, men be who you're called to be, women who you're called to be, raise the children up the way. Hey, it's awesome. We, we are the only ones on the planet, if you think about this, who have the potentiality to have the best possible marriage and the best possible family than anybody else on the whole planet. Because they don't have God's direction. And the reason why they're experiencing so much pain and division is because they refuse to do it his way. And the second of all, even if they understood it's God's way, unless they have the Spirit of God in them, which only happens at the moment you get saved, they don't have the power to pull it off, but we do. And how as Christians, just something as simple as being that biblical man, that biblical woman, and having that biblical family, what an amazing witness that would be to our community, right? I'll close with this. Just, there's only been one God. The scripture says God's kindness leads us to repentance, right? Unfortunately, we don't usually respond to his kindness, right? But there was one guy, his name was James Blaine at a, a Friday night Bible study. And that's actually how and why he came to the Lord. He came from a broken family. His parents got divorced. He was staying with his mom. And he just hung out with his Christian family. He was just doing the Christian thing. The thing that blew him away is, first of all, they ate a meal together. And then what really blew him away is when they uh, were sharing a meal together and they invited him over, uh, they prayed. I kid you not. Because we're all around there rapping about testimonies. How'd you get saved at this Bible study, right? How'd you get saved? Well, hey, you, know, you guys know my testimony and all that stuff. And other guys got similar testimonies and all, and all this stuff. And here comes James Blaine. Well, I just, uh, I hung out with his Christian family. And after one night of seeing just them loving each other, um, I went to my bedroom all alone. And I cried out to Jesus and asked him to save me. Because I, I wanted what they had. Our family's messed up today. Marriage is messed up. Kids messed up. Right? Are people bucking at what we're studying on? You and I get it back on track. Do you realize the powerful witness we will have of visitors that come here, the people we work with, our neighbors, the rest of our family who don't know Christ? Just something as simple. I don't know how to answer the four classical arguments for the existence of God. Can you just be a Christian family? How about we start there? And that's going to make a huge difference. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But before you go, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today, that you go to heaven and not hell? Before you answer that, let me share a couple things with you. Did you know that the Bible says that God is holy and that we are not? And the Bible also says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness is death. In other words, when we die, 
And it's coming for each one of us. We're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, but it's going to happen. The Bible says, therefore, since the wages of our sin is death, we deserve to die and go straight to hell and not to heaven. And that's bad enough, but to make matters worse, we don't want to admit this. God already knows. He knows uh, all of our behavior, everything, our thoughts, what we've done, what even we're going to do. He knows it all. He's gone. Even though he already knows this, we don't want to admit this. And so, out of love and mercy, God gave us something called his law, or the Ten Commandments. It's kind of like his x-ray into our heart to show us what he already knows, that he is holy and that we are not. And it's this unholiness or sin that separates us from him. Let's take a look at God's x-ray, if you will, his divine law, to show us what he already knows. The Ten Commandments, uh, the ninth one, says this, you shall not bear false witness. Okay, that's called lying. Okay, and if you've ever told a lie once, which we all have, myself included, the Bible says that makes you a liar. Okay, the, the, another commandment says you shall not steal. Okay, uh, and you might think, well, that's something that everybody does. Well, it doesn't make it right, and it demonstrates what God is trying to show us, that uh, we all have sin, and it's separating us from him. Even if you took a pencil in the third grade from somebody, if you did it without permission, that's stealing. And so now you've become a thief. The Bible says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And how interesting it is and unfortunate that the only name under heaven by which men might be saved, the name Jesus Christ, has now become a common cuss word. The Bible says that God is so holy that even his name is holy. If you've taken the Lord's name in vain, and used it as a cuss word or even flippantly. The Bible calls that the sin of blasphemy. And so now you become a blasphemer. The Bible says you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus says if you even look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. And finally, the Bible says uh, you shall not murder. And you might think, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? Well, again, the Bible says that the sin of hatred is the same as the sin of murder. The only difference is you pulled the trigger, if you will, in your heart. You wish they were dead. And in God's eyes, it's the same thing in principle. Folks, that's only just a couple of the Ten Commandments. We didn't even go through all of them. But I think you're starting to get the picture. The Bible is correct. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, myself included, and that we are separated from God as a result. And so when our time comes, we're not automatically going to heaven. We are headed for judgment. We are headed for hell. Now let me tell you the good news. The good news is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to save us. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It was the death penalty of its day. He paid in full uh, the price for our sins to be forgiven. Let me give you an analogy. For instance, even today, we could see that a person could commit a crime. Uh, they, they cannot reverse it. The, the sentence has been passed. The judge has uh, slammed his gavel, and they are ushered off into their jail cell. And in this particular crime, they are going to receive the death penalty. And so they're behind bars just waiting for the time, waiting for the call for them to go and uh, receive the death penalty. But believe it or not, as we know, there is a way that a person can get off a death row. And that is if the one in authority, the governor, would grant them a pardon. Now, they didn't earn it. 
they certainly don't deserve it, and there's nothing they could do uh, to earn it because nothing can reverse their crime, okay? Yet the one in authority has that ability to grant them a pardon. Well, can I tell you something? That's what God has done through Jesus Christ. The cross was the death penalty of the day. God sent his one and only son to die on the cross, to take the death penalty in our place, and that if we would just receive his pardon for all of our sins, God is willing to allow us to get off a death row. He's willing to forgive us completely of all of our sins. That's the good news that I want to share with you. God loves you. The Bible says that God is not willing that anyone should perish, but everyone come to repentance. Won't you, if that's you, call upon the name of Jesus Christ right now? Won't you ask him to forgive you of your sins? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Won't you do that now wherever you are? Please, take God up on his amazing, loving offer. I'll let you down. Man will let you down. People will let you down. But God never will. He wants to adopt you into his forever family. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done, past, present, and future. It's amazing. Please, call upon Jesus now. Well, this has been Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church. If there's anything that we can do for you, please don't hesitate to ask. Our number and information will come up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless. Thank you for watching this presentation from Sunrise Baptist Church. If you would like to send us a letter or any other kind of postage, you can reach us at 1780 Betty Lane, Las Vegas, Nevada, 89156. For more information, you can give us a call at 702-452-8599 or email us at bcrone at getalifemedia.com or you can visit our website at www.getalifemedia.com. Billy Crone and this ministry can also be found on Facebook and Twitter. Join us for services at www.sunriselv.com.